A Google software engineer this week circulated a memo criticizing company policy with regard to tolerance and diversity, for which diverse opinion Google tolerantly fired him. We'll analyze, plus, uh, we'll analyze, pardon, the Church of Political Correctness and its heretics. Plus, Amanda Prestigiacomo, Paul Bois, and Jacob Berry join the panel of deplorables to discuss bureaucrats' climate change coup, the MSM's declaration of Trump's demise, and coddled guide dogs. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. All right, so you may be noticing, if you're watching this on video, I have glasses now. I made it 27 years without glasses. Unfortunately, the old eyes die. I know, I'm not happy about it. But, you know, actually, I think this could be a good thing for two reasons. One, we're going to be talking about those nerds at Google today. So if I'm going to be a four eyes, this is as good a time as any. Also, this will help me complete my full transformation into Rachel Maddow. So I've got the show now. I've got the hair and the, the physical stature. Now I also have the glasses. I'm very happy to say that. Okay, we have got to get to this. Uh, the other thing about these glasses, I only need them for distance, so I have to keep taking them on and off. To quote a great man, sad. Uh, we need to talk about this, uh, this engineer. His name is James Damore, or Damore. I'll pronounce it the Italian way, because I want to believe that it was an Italian-American who published this beautiful memo that is upsetting everybody at Google. The memo is titled, Google's Ideological Echo Chamber, and it went viral. It, it was criticizing the culture that they have instilled at Google of political correctness and diversity and tolerance and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, he's, of course, been fired for bringing up a diverse idea, so he's, he's lost his job after this memo went viral, both in the company and on the internet outside of the company. Now, before we unfairly lambast Google, I think it would only be fair to go to Google CEO Sundar Pichai for comment. Do we have Welcome to Tolerance Camp. You are here because you would not accept people's differences. Because you refuse to accept the life choices of your fellow man. Well, those days are now over. Here you will work every hour of every day until you submit to being tolerant of everybody. Here, intolerance will not be tolerated. Wow. Very profound words. Not the accent that I expected from a name like Sundar Pichai. But he went on and explained a little bit more. He said, after they canned this poor guy, he said, quote, Much of what was in that memo is fair to debate, regardless of whether a vast majority of Googlers disagree with it. However, however is that key word here, because however is negate sentences. It negates what came before it. Portions of the memo violate our code of conduct and cross the line by advancing harmful gender stereotypes in our work workplace. Much of it is up for debate, but if you violate the, if you commit a thought crime at Google, you can be fired because it violates the code of conduct. What a code of conduct that must be. He went on to say, quote, the memo has clearly impacted our coworkers, some of whom are feeling, are hurting and feel judged based on their gender. Now, this is great. NPR is reporting this morning that there are a number of women who work at Google who to contradict this patriarchal and sexist memo that was going around, have stayed home from work because they're so upset about what was in the memo. So way to fight the patriarchy, ladies. Uh, the memo said that you were overly emotional and you really showed them, didn't you? Uh, now, speaking of women at Google, the VP of Diversity and Inclusion weighed in on that as well. Google's Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion sent a letter to employees on Saturday saying the employee's memo, quote, advanced incorrect assumptions about gender and is not a viewpoint the company endorses, promotes, or encourages. 
There's one word missing. It endorsed politically incorrect assumptions about all of those things. Also, what a job title. The Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion. I don't know what graduate degrees or credentials you need for that. Probably just a, a bachelor's from a liberal arts university, Swarthmore maybe, Wesleyan, I'm not sure. But uh, great, good for her that she got that gig. I can't imagine what they're doing. Um, th that is what this is about. This is about PC. It's about political correctness and uh, that issue pervades the entire memo. So what is in this memo? I think it's being reported in certain areas of the internet that the guy who wrote this, James DeMore, is a conservative. He is not a conservative. I read the memo this morning. He, it, in many places, criticizes conservatives for various points of view that the, the right tends to hold in the country. But what he's really criticizing is an oppressive environment that stifles free speech, stifles free uh, expression of ideas, and also literally discriminates against certain employees and hiring practices and benefits that are available to employees. So here are just a few few quotes from the memo. You should go over and read the whole thing. It's eye-opening that this would get a guy fired. Quote, I value diversity and inclusion. I'm not denying that sexism exists, and I don't endorse using stereotypes. The stereotypes is the key here. There's more on that later. Uh, psychological safety is built on mutual respect and acceptance, but unfortunately our culture of shaming and misrepresentation is disrespectful and unaccepting of anyone outside its echo chamber. <laughs> the title of the piece is about the echo chamber, and of course, even a memo that was circulated at first anonymously was enough to get a guy discovered, rooted out, and fired from Google. Quote, the lack of discussion fosters the most extreme and authoritarian elements of this ideology. And that's what he's talking about. This utter emphasis on diversity of skin color, on diversity of gender, uh, on, on diversity of all sorts except for diversity of thought, uh, the one diversity that a company probably could benefit from, uh, and, uh, and the authoritarian elements of this as well. You see here this vice president of diversity inclusion, all of these managers whose entire job it is to program their employees to host seminars, to host training uh, practices, to host all of these events to change the way in which these employees think. And you see this everywhere. This is happening on college campuses. The diversity deans are multiplying by the hour. Yale has probably hired three more since we started this show today. It's in workplaces and it's across Google's platforms. There is a well-documented war on conservatives at YouTube. You know, they flew a lot of us out there about a month ago. I was us, uh, I went out there, Stephen Crowder went out there, Nake Jared, our, our panelist, our sometime panelist. A lot of people from across the spectrum went out, Google said, listen, we're gonna try harder. They've already cut off a lot of the revenue to conservative channels. A lot of conservatives have been banned from uh, YouTube altogether. So hopefully there will be some remedy in the future, but Google has made its ideological positions quite clear. Now the big claim beyond criticizing what Google is doing, the big claim that probably got this guy fired is he, he committed the thought crime. He committed the one unthinkable thought crime. He said, men and women categorically are not exactly the same. Did you hear that, Marshall? Marshall ran out of the room. He was running out of the room crying. Can you imagine that claim? Uh, he said that there are heritable differences between men and women. They've been observed across all of cultures for all of time. These differences can't be explained solely by social environments or social conditioning, but they're biological as well. And he made a few generalizations here, which all of the women at Google proceeded to prove correct one after another this morning. But he made a few claims. He said women, 
speaking categorically, not speaking individually, not saying there aren't women who don't have these characteristics, there aren't men who do have these characteristics, but he's speaking categorically. He says that women are more, uh, show more openness directed toward feelings. They tend to invest more in personal relationships rather than in, in relationships to things. Um, they, it should, that women express extroversion more through gregariousness, are more agreeable. Uh, certainly this is true. There are other uh, social science studies to back this up, uh, that women are more prone to anxiety. This is obviously true. It's been backed up by myriad psychological studies. It's been backed up by pharmaceutical sales. Uh, but that, that in particular riled the feathers of many in the upper echelons of Google. and. Uh, that uh, research suggests that gr uh, greater nation-level gender equality leads to psychological dissimilarity in men's and women's personality traits. So as there is a national ideological push for equality and indiscernibility of the sexes, that those inherent biological and categorical differences between men and women become a little clearer. They express themselves a little bit more. Uh, it, crucially, he says, Many of these differences are small. There is significant overlap between men and women. So you can't say anything about an individual given these population level distributions. Th this is the key because when, when Google or uh, rather when people on the left who present this ideological point of view present it, it seems that there are these binary categories that we're talking about. But we're not. We're saying that there are bell curves. There are there's significant uh, if not major overlap between those two categories. And most importantly, while the left wants to put us all into little boxes and engage in the intersectionality pyramid of and hierarchy of oppression, the right, generally speaking, wants to judge people individually. You keep, stereotypes come from somewhere, perhaps, but you can't judge an individual based on categorical assumptions and definitions. A firm belief on, of the conservative movement among individualists, libertarians, people on the right. This is what got Larry Summers fired. This isn't the first time it's rearing its ugly head. Larry Summers was president of Harvard. He uh, presented a study that suggested that there were several reasons why women do not appear at the high-end faculty of STEM, of science, technology, math, engineering. And one of the possible reasons is that, categorically speaking, the bell curve might be different. So the bell curve for women might be a little smaller than the bell curve for men, meaning the 10 dumbest people on earth and the 10 smartest people on earth would be men. And then otherwise there would be perfect overlap between men and women. Uh, th this was enough to get him canned from that position. Larry Summers, no conservative Republican, lifelong Democrat. Uh, the uh, there was. There's also a woman has, has hadn't won the Fields Medal, the math, mathematical prize, until 2014. There were. There is obviously a, a lack of women at these, uh, in these particular areas, and there's also a lack of women at Google itself. Something like 75% of the uh, leadership of Google is male. 69% uh, of the staff is male. So certainly this is a male-dominated field, and for this guy, James DeMori, to ask why, to say it's perhaps not just oppression and you know keeping women down because of a glass ceiling in the patriarchy, perhaps there are some other reasons, uh, is enough to lose him his job. Now, he goes on to talk about discriminatory practices. Apparently at Google, there are programs, mentorings, classes only for people of a certain gender or race, special treatment for diversity candidates, which might effectively lower the bar for certain people who are being hired. There appear to be some illegal quotas from what he wrote in his memo. And 
This shows, I think, a discrepancy between the left's understanding of conservatives and conservatives' understanding of the left. Uh, there, I, I, the guy who put it better, I think, is Jonathan Haidt, who's a social scientist. He put it in a TED Talk, probably the only TED Talk I've ever <laughs> sat through. The, the difference between how we view each other on both sides of the aisle. Do we have it? So if you think, if you think that half of America votes Republican because they are blinded in this way, then my message to you is that you're trapped in a moral matrix, in a particular moral matrix. And by the matrix, I mean literally the matrix like the movie, The Matrix. Um, but I'm here today to give you a choice. You can either take the blue pill and stick to your comforting delusions, or you can take the red pill, learn some moral psychology, and step outside the moral matrix. We could say that liberals have a kind of a two-channel or two-foundation morality. Uh, conservatives have more of a five-foundation or five-channel morality. We find this in every country we look at. Here's the data for 1,100 Canadians. I'll just flip through a few other slides. The UK, Australia, New Zealand, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Latin America, the Middle East, the East Asia, and South Asia. Now, what he's saying is that there are more moral categories by which conservatives view the world, in which they see the world, different, different ways to value our place in the world and others around us and the things around us. For the left, it's narrower, it's more myopic. And so when uh, someone on the right or a conservative sees someone on the left doing something stupid, they might say, well, that's pretty stupid. You clearly don't see the world in its full picture or in a full enough picture, but c'est la vie, that's, that's how these things go. Whereas when someone on the left sees a conservative doing something, because they don't understand these other moral categories, they don't have as broad a moral vision of the world, they assume malice, they assume ill intent or some nefarious plotting on, on the part of the conservatives. Now, this kind of language is really disconcerting. We see it throughout the culture. Listen to the doublespeak that we hear from other Googlers, other managers at Google. I think a culture of silence can be insidious. And I think a, a culture of vulnerability can be beautiful. A mantra that, that we've really tried to embrace here at Google is bring your full self to work. Yeah, a culture of silence can be insidious. And a, a, let's talk about the culture of vulnerability, the people who are most likely to lose their jobs if they open their mouths. It is, he is, stating precisely the opposite of what he means to state, which is that if you hold certain views, you will be rooted out in the, in the name of tolerance and diversity and fairness, d despite the very act of doing that, undermining all of those things entirely. Let's go on. We have various groups that are called ERGs, employee resource groups, uh, that focus on a variety of things from serving the black Googler community to the Hispanic Googler community to, we have another group called Gagglers. And we're not often aware of how our biases are actually already living inside of us. Inclusion continues to be something that we really need to innovate around and work on. I'm gonna start calling Marshall a Gagler. That's at a totally separate do point. <laughs> that is a great, that's a great little word. Uh, of course, the, ever since uh, Google realized they had this problem where men are dominating the company, they addressed it by creating safe spaces. That's language that they'll use to describe it. And those uh, spaces are called employee resource groups. Uh, it's part of the program diversity core, and you can go and you can share your feelings. Certain employees are allowed to spend one-fifth of their time coming up with initiatives to attract women and racial minorities to the company. 
fifth of their time. It's a lot of money, it's a lot of resources. But of course, that won't attract diversity of thought. So DeMore has decided to file a complaint with the NLRB, National Labor Relations Board. We'll see what comes of that, but I imagine we can't take down the behemoth, either the tech company Google or the culture that they are taking part of. With that, we have to bring in our panel. Finally, we have to bring in our panel. This is an all Daily Wire panel today. We have the beautiful and brainy Amanda Prestigiacomo. We have the less beautiful and less brainy Jacob Airy and Paul Bois, his eminence himself. Guys, thanks for coming here. Paul, you are a member of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. How did the Church of PC, the cult of diversity and tolerance, arise? Well, for that, we'd have to go all the way back to the time of Karl Marx, who was, of course, the first social engineer to identify people according to their economic uh, grievances. And this, of course, translated into the social spheres in the early 20th century with philosophers like Michel Foucault and Charles Fourier. Uh, but that's a more esoteric diagnosis, and I don't think the people at Google are necessarily marching under that banner. Uh, where I think that uh, virtue signaling gained such a mass appeal stems from the fact that America in the 60s and 70s lost its Christian identity. And it How lost, did I know you were going to say that? Uh, I knew you were going to say am, that. Yes, you <laughs> called me Vox Day for a reason. Uh, so they <laughs> lost its Christian identity and lost its ability to forgive itself of past sins. And with that, that translated into a mass attitude of intense censorship and hatred of any idea that opposed the specific coddling and targeting of various minority groups. So I think that speaks to its mass appeal beyond that of the hard left, who I think are more ideologically motivated. Sure, and there is a notion that when you lose the sense of your connection to I am that I am, when you lose the connection of the creature to the creator, you have this question, which is who am I? Which uh, victimhood category do I fit into? And how do I exploit it for professional gain at Google? <laughs> a very good question. Jacob, is Google more than a private company? Is You know, there are these, we kind of wonder it's a private company, why? Shouldn't they be able to do whatever they want to do? But are they more than that? They, they collude with the government. They have all of our data for every single thing that we will certainly deny having looked up on the internet. Are they more? Are they, are they super, super uh, business? You know, are they in part government as well? I don't think they're in part government, I, but I do see the argument that says, hey, they're doing all these collusions. Like uh, Google literally has a system set up where they they read everything you search in the Google search bar. And if something suspicious comes up, they report you to the government. And I think that uh, while I'm, I'm hesitant uh, to start an investigation into Google, they are a private company and that, quite frankly, they have the right to uh, to work with the government. I think that us as consumers need to put pressure on them to say, hey, we don't like this. We want to see more conservative voices at Google and on YouTube. Is there a fear though? I mean, I, I agree with that, absolutely. Is there a fear, Amanda, that this will trickle down to other companies? Google is obviously, they're lunatics. They're out there in Silicon Valley. They partake of that, the Kool-Aid out there with all of the other tech liberals. Is there a fear that this will permeate other companies in the United States? I mean, I think it already has. I mean, we see it with Facebook, we see it on YouTube. I mean, this is all over the place where conservatives are being rooted out. You know, you have some wrong think and you're, and you're booted, you're can't. This guy was just talking about diversity policies and uh, it wasn't, apparently that didn't fall under their diversity guidelines and he was outed. 
Um, so, I mean, we're already seeing it. I, I guess the answer would be to try to get conservatives in this tech world. Um, I, you know, I don't know exactly how we do that. Um, if, if Google is to coordinate more with the government, maybe you would have some sort of case where, um, you know, there could be some overreach. But again, I'm not one to push any sort of government uh, action to, you know, restrain something. Me I, I neither. Think I, I think you could have ended stuff. that sentence after government action. I am not one. No, just stay <laughs> out of here. Yeah. And and stay out of the rest of this conversation, you people who are too cheap to go to dailywire.com. Speaking of Facebook and YouTube, we have to say goodbye to you both. We probably will have to say goodbye to you both because we'll be kicked off there shortly. Uh, go over to dailywire.com right now. You get to hear the rest of the panel of deplorables. You'll get the leftist tears mug. Keeps your leftist tears hot or cold, always salty and delicious. And you can hear Amanda and Paul and Jacob keep pontificating on the news of the day, but only if you go to dailywire.com right now, 10 bucks a month, you get Ben Shapiro show, Andrew Clavin show, and my show. So do it right now, we'll be right back. Now we have to get to the important news like the sun monster. Federal agencies have leaked a report on the dangers of global warming while President Trump is away on vacation. It warns that temperatures could increase two degrees Celsius over the next hundred years if we stop, if we don't do anything, and if we stop emitting these greenhouse gases, then they'll still increase half a degree Celsius over 100 years. Now, luckily, we have a feed to the federal climate officials, environmentalist bureaucrats. What is your reaction? <laughs> measured thoughtful typical typically thoughtful response from the federal bureaucrats paul aside from the global warming we've talked about global warming let's talk about the leak is this another example of the deep state trying to undermine president trump um an example of the deep state no an example of fake news from new york times uh yes uh, because according to an article on Fox News right now, there actually was no They're leak. Uh, several people. scientists who authored the report are now publicly claiming on Twitter that the New York Times published fake news and that the report was available on the Internet Archives going all the way back to January. So no deep state here, but uh, Trump's other enemy, fake news, absolutely. Fake news, New York yeah. Times, that is, that is a much more dangerous enemy than those bureaucrats. <laughs> Uh, Amanda, President Trump is likely going to ignore this report, I assume. His USDA has stopped using the term climate change, apparently. They're now instructed to use the term extreme weather. Uh, can we say safely that we're living in the best timeline? Is this just the best thing ever? It, it really I'm just waiting for President Trump to retweet his old tweet about uh, China creating climate change to basically hurt U.S. manufacturing. Yeah. Like, once that happens, then it's the best time ever. Um, but good, good on Trump. This is why, this is one of the reasons why people, conservatives um, and people on the right, voted for Trump, because he's not going to put up with the propaganda, with the PC language. Um, I know it was global cooling, global warming, then climate change. Climate change is a PC propaganda term in and of itself. Good for him to read it. We're playing by his rules, and this is in part why he why he won.
That's right. This is boldness we have not seen before. Uh, it, uh, with many of the other men on that stage who are running for president in 2016, I don't think that we would see turning away from the language of climate change or climate crisis or whatever Al Gore thinks up this morning. Is this some evidence that President Trump is a conservative in maybe a different way and maybe a more meaningful way than some of the other people that were running for that seat? Well, I actually kind of think it shows the opposite. He thinks like a leftist. He goes after them. Mm. He uses their tactics. President Obama stripped words away um, that he didn't want, like it, you know, um, with his with his intelligence reports or whatever. President Trump has that same, you know, focus that he's going to play just as dirty as they are, and uh, so it's kind of it kind of shows the opposite, in my opinion. Takes a thief to catch a thief. Very, very true. Jacob, <laughs> regardless of the fake news from the New York Times, but I repeat myself, are leaks in general, are they good for the republic? We've seen so many leaks coming out of the Trump administration. Are they good for the republic or do they do more harm than good? Are they damaging to the presidency and to the country? I honestly think they do more harm than good. Uh, you see, what, everyone talks about, oh, what about Watergate? Watergate was done through leaks. And well, there's one problem. Watergate actually showed uh, that there was illegal activity going on. None of the leaks that have been released show any kind of illegality, none whatsoever. So I honestly think the ones that are being released is just a, an attempt to disrupt President Trump from governing. Speaking of Watergate, the Washington Post, democracy dies in darkness, as they tell me, the Washington Post ran a headline this morning, quote, Trump's base is officially crumbling. Uh, this is based on new polling data that shows his approval ratings are falling. Jacob, when did the Washington Post lose all of its credibility? Was it immediately after Watergate? Did they have some <laughs> leeway in between there? Why, how has it fallen so far? When did it happen? I honestly think it happened in the 90s. We definitely saw the mainstream media come together for the first time openly, you know, before it was kind of done in subtle ways. But definitely in the 90s with, with President Bill Clinton, it was done more in the open. Oh, we're going to cover up all the massive spending. And then all of a sudden in 2003, their uh, fiscal conservatives under George W. Bush for all the for all the spending bills he wrote. So, you know, I think that honestly, it came more out in the open in the in the early 90s, I would say. Certainly with that motto, that pathetic motto they started this year, <laughs> democracy dies in darkness. You get headlines like that. I'm surprised they didn't use three or four exclamation marks at the end. Ridiculous. <laughs> Amanda, the approval numbers are down. According to the polling, Trump's numbers are down, especially among his base. But these are the same people who told us that Hillary had a 99.999% chance of being elected president. Should we believe them? Or are, the, are the numbers worth believing or is it just more fake news? Um, so, I mean, you got, you got to be careful. Again, just coming from this election, I'm not one to just, you know, take these polls and believe them wholesale. Um, you know, again, this, this was the same media, this, the same uh, analysts who were telling us that we were going to see a referendum on Trump with the special elections. That didn't turn out. Um, but, it, but if we look at Rasmussen, for instance, which is, tends to be the most accurate of these polls, Trump's at 41%. And, and the most today. right wing, too. That was um, a diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> Love Rasmussen polling. It's great, yeah. great polling. It's almost synonymous, you know, correct, right wing. That's right. Um, so... <laughs> So basically, uh, that that showed him at like 41%. So it, it it looks like his numbers kind of dropped off a little bit, and that could be, you know, if these are legit at all, that could have been, you know, we saw Trump attack Sessions. I, I don't think his base particularly like that. Um, you know, just recently, the mooch wasn't the best time for.
I will not hear that. I don't believe them. We disagree. I disavow Amanda. I disavow. I love you, Mooch. But if these polling, if this polling is right at all, we should see an uptick pretty soon. I mean, President Trump has a lot of good wins in the foreign policy front, um, so we'll probably see we'll probably see his numbers go up. And and again, with General Kelly too, we've seen a lot has calmed down. So I would expect mm -hmm. these numbers, if they're accurate at all, to get a boost anyhow. If they're accurate at all is a big qualifier. Paul, <laughs> yes. if the numbers are legit, what can President Trump do to hold the Congress in the midterms to be reelected? What can he do to bounce back? Well, I absolutely think he can uh, bounce back, Michael. I think Trump's rhetoric, Trump's agenda, Trump's spirit. Uh, I still think uh, I read, readily uh, appeals to his base. I think most of them are just experiencing fatigue over the past couple of months. Is attacking of Jess Sessions, uh, the Scaramucci ordeal. Uh, I think if he just gets over those and he gets a well-oiled machine going and he brings them the MAGA that he promised them, uh, he'll bounce back and I think he'll win in a landslide. He just really needs to get that going. And it's really a question of can he oil his machine? Bring me the MAGA, bring me the Kefefe. That That's all I want. That's oh, all I'm asking for. We have to get off of thing, these. He... Yeah, go ahead, Amanda. Oh. I was just going to say, if he can get the, the RAISE Act to pass, because, you know, Republicans are terrible and they, they, some of them are already against it. If he can get that to pass, I think that'll, his base will be really excited about that. He'll have to herd all those yeah. cats in the Republican uh, conference in Congress, right. which is not the easiest thing to do. But if he can, you're right, maybe he can bounce back. He can get a legislative win under his belt. But all of that, none of that matters. None of that matters coming out of Congress or the economy or the White House because a new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences suggests that coddled puppies make poor guide dogs. This is important. They make poor guide dogs. Amanda, does this explain our terrible generation? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does. It's almost like parenting matters. It's so funny to see all these leftist headlines, like so shocked that this would like have an effect. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you coddle children or puppies. Um, they're they're not going to be the most capable or self-sufficient or, you know, the best guide dogs or the best people to hold a job and not be in their ba mom's basement playing video yeah. games. I mean, it's all kind of connected here. So, you know, hopefully this will click on the those dogs. puppies, they get BAs in gender studies, they get MFAs in art. Yeah, they, a lot of terrible effects from those parents coddling those poor puppies. Uh, Paul, it has become cliche to call millennials snowflakes. They have been helicopter parented, there, is, there are participation trophies, there is grade inflation, sure, but they're also stuck with a ton of student debt, unprecedented student debt. They are stuck with a lot of federal debt, the national debt, because of unfunded liabilities that their parents have left them and not paid for. Is it, are we being too harsh on the millennials? Is it, is it fair to call them coddled? Well, you brought me on here, so I'm going to say this. Um, I think it's fair to call millennials spiritually malnourished. And I think that largely stems from the breakdown of the uh, family, uh, the breakdown of important social structures, uh, the breakdown of religion and morality. And so, I mean, the way I put it is the baby boomers had the party, the Gen Xers uh, got the leftovers and the millennials got stuck cleaning it up. You know, where the generation, you know, brainwashed in a massive college debt, where the generation of broken homes, uh, where the generation of technological gluttony. So I think they deserve a little bit more of our pity than our scorn. Sure, absolutely. Is there is there a way out though? Is there a way to 
satiate their spiritual malnourishment or is there any hope of a great awakening on the horizon uh, or are we all just headed for nihilist despair? nothing short of a spiritual revolution is going to do it but i mean if there's one thing that does uh, we should all definitely uh take hope in is the fact that where millennials are conservative and where they are religious they are very conservative and they are very religious there is a, a very much a hunger among uh, millennial conservatives uh to seek the orthodox to seek sort of what was deprived of them uh, by the baby boomer generation. I think that's something that may translate into a powerful uh, social revolution. There's also clearly an exuberance among young people. I'm speaking politically here. Uh, you know, of these kind of mischievous, fun people, uh, are, uh, both at the millennial generation and a little bit younger, they don't seem to be totally brainwashed, uh, politically correct people. They seem to be rebelling against that a little bit. So maybe there's some hope. Who mm -hmm. knows? I'm an eternal optimist. Jacob. <laughs> Back to the issue at hand. If we are spending money studying puppy parenting, shouldn't we have already cured <laughs> cancer or something? Are we? You know, we've heard all of these stories about federal science funding going to run shrimp on treadmills and study lesbian obesity. Are, are our resources being a little misguided here? Oh, yes. One hundred and one percent. How they allocate these these studies, I have no idea. I, I remember uh, Glenn Beck did this performance where he was saying unelectable, and he said that anyone who suggested that we would study what happens when fire hits ice, they should just be taken out and executed. Now, I'm not advocating violence against, against these people, but, you know, sometimes I, I definitely get the sentiment. You know, it's like, you know, come butts, on now. Butts negate sentences, ISIS Jacob. terrorism. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we've got we've got terrorism. We've got actual problems that funding for these studies can go to, and instead we're worrying about lesbian dance therapy. I know that's a favorite uh, attack of Ben Shapiro's. He he loves to attack lesbian dance th theory, and I'm all for it. We should we should cut it. We should cut the fat and focus on what's important. I keep inviting him to my lesbian dance therapy class. I think it would be really good for him. It would help him relax. He's a busy guy. He still hasn't taken me up on it. Okay, well, on that call to violence, I have to say goodbye to all of you because now it is time for the final thought. Google, I'm going to put my smart glasses on for this final thought. Google keeps using those words, diversity, inclusion, and tolerance. I do not think they mean what Google thinks they mean. The company has sent a crystal clear message today that they will not tolerate any hint of the only diversity that matters, diversity of thought. In the name of free thought, they suppress speech. In the name of diversity, they exclude those with diverse points of view. In the name of tolerance, the high clerics of Google will not tolerate heretics. G.K. Chesterton in Orthodoxy identified Google's illiberal central premise, the thought that stops thought. There is a thought that stops thought, he wrote, that is the only thought that ought to be stopped. Wise words. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow and we'll do it all again.